0: dive into identity. Uh, As we begin the year, um, one of the things that God put on our heart as for Kate and I, as we lead this community called Living Waters, uh, is to make sure that foundationally we have these three things, intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And so every year in some form, we begin the year with those. I know this thing is clear, but I feel kind of like I'm like, I have to talk over the top of this thing. (laughs) Howdy neighbor. Um, everyone over there as I turn they're all like it's like there's a wave happening I'm like no it's clear you don't have to raise your chin or anything you see you through it um anyway as we begin our year intimacy identity inheritance and we have um, crafted different ways to get that deep into the DNA and deep into the foundation of who we are as a house and um and so we'll continue to do that. This year, we are doing three weeks of intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And this morning, I want to talk to you about our identity in Christ. And so the reason that I love the way that it builds is that our identity in Christ flows directly from intimacy with God and our and, and through his spirit and his presence in us. As we talked about last week, we have that as our reality. And for us to be able to walk in our in our God-given identity, we have to start in that place of intimacy and even that place of love that we talked about in, or as we worshiped this morning, that out of the foundation of this, out of the reality of this, is that any kind conversation we have about who we are in Christ is fully developed because of the life of Christ, the life and death and resurrection and enthronement and the outpouring of his spirit is all because why? Because John three sixteen tells us, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. And this is what the core of our belief is that God loved and therefore he gave. And because he loved, he reconciled us into intimacy and into relationship like we talked about last week. But the, the driving force God is love, and the driving force behind that was that we would know He loves us, and it is the cause of it is His love for us. And so we want that to be the reality of the revelation, of any revelation that we have of our identity, is that it comes from that place of love, and it comes from the place of identity, or of intimacy. And what intimacy does is it allows us to invite God to know us And it gives us permission to be known by Him. And when we experience that level of intimacy, of knowing and being known, and we are not thrown away, and we are not having to hide, and we don't have to cover our past or our mistakes or our shortcomings or anything else with shame, and we come to a Father who says, who invites us and says, come to me. And yet we come hesitant because we're coming to the Father and we aren't sure what the response is going to be, but when we discover that it is his invitation of love that draws us into intimacy, and when we are in that place of intimacy, standing before God, standing before our Father, that he is not throwing us away, that he is not to destroy us, he is not to turn his back on us, but to love us, and when we experience that kind of intimacy and that kind of love, that is where, when we're not thrown away, when we are known and when you are known to the the depths of your story and everything about it and you're not having to hide it and then you discover that you are loved for who you are, where you are, then we can begin to talk about intimacy in that place and the overflow of that intimacy. We can talk about your identity, who are you? You are who the Father says you are. But first we have to learn to be able to stand before the Father and be known deeply and truly and, and experience that he is not throwing us away or turning his back on us and that that kind of love would bring us into a place of freedom and we would get a glimpse and a taste of that freedom and then we would, we would desire and hunger for it in every other part of our life, in every other area of our life. And I know if you guys have kids, you're like me, and I mentioned this last week. As a father, my greatest desire is that my kids would know who they are, and they would know that they're loved. And that's that's my, that's my, my goal as a father. And, and I, I want that, and I could fail at a hundred different things, but if when my kids are old enough to look back and reflect back at me, I want them to be able to say to me, Dad, because of the way that you raised me, I always knew that I was loved. I always knew that I was seen. I always knew that I was not known and that you helped me discover who I am. That's our heart as parents, and I believe that that is also God's heart for us as sons and daughters: is that we would know who we are, and that we would know why He loves us so deeply, and we would get to experience that through intimacy. I think that's His heart: to know that we are loved, and to know who we are. And I believe that's why Jesus came. And so, if you'll if you'll give me just a moment to teach through this as the foundational piece of our, of our conversation about identity is to take us through some passages of scripture and, and, and just remind us again what it was that Jesus did. If we say God's heart and desire for us is that we would know we were loved, we would know whose we are, and that's why Jesus came, then I wanna talk just for a moment about that reality of Jesus' coming. And I mentioned already John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die, will not perish, but will have eternal life. We know that verse. We see it everywhere. We all probably have it memorized. Even if we didn't grow up in church, it is very common. But what does it mean? It means this, Colossians 1, 13, Paul tells us in a different spot. He says, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. In Romans 6, he expounds on this thought. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into death and in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life. This is what Jesus was accomplishing, that we too would live a new life just as we died in him and he rose, that we rise in him and that we now have a new identity and a new life that we are living. Now, if we died with Christ, Paul goes on to say, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus so that we are so ingrained and connected in with Jesus through his work and life and death and resurrection that we are able to say, the life that I now live, I live to God. So that we can say, as Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Can we say this? The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but I live in Jesus. My old identity is no more, but my new identity is found in Jesus. So that we begin to understand as 2 Corinthians teaches us, that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old, the former has gone and the new is here. This that I just described and expressed in those scriptures is our constant invitation to come into full relationship with Jesus. And coming into full relationship with Jesus, we too can experience this reality of dying with him, being baptized in water symbolically, but also spiritually. And as we come out of the water, that we are coming out of the water alive in Jesus and the old is gone, the new has come. And the redemptive, full redemptive work of Jesus is being accomplished in those moments and then throughout our lives as we follow him and keep our hearts and our eyes on Jesus. That is the invitation that we have. And if we are in Christ then, and Christ is in us, whose nature do we carry right now? If we are alive in Christ, and we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, whose identity do you carry right now? And I want that to be the deep emphatic question that rests on our hearts and that we wrestle with. His identity is not something for us to grasp and earn and prove through our life and through checking box and following religious rules. His life is something that we receive by revelation through intimacy with him, that we understand the reality that says, I have been raised up out of the old into the new. I am alive in Jesus. And that is the source of my identity. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says this. And I know that if we have a core verse in this house, it's John ten ten. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus says, but I have come that you would have life and life abundant, that you had life to the fullest. And I know that's our core verse. It's why we ask the question, what do you look like? What do you look like? What do you look like fully alive in Jesus? Because Jesus promised that he came that we would experience life fully. So we're asking as a community, we are just constantly asking that question. If Jesus promised the fullness of life, what do I look like fully alive in Jesus? And so I know that John ten ten 10 is foundational to who we are, but if there was like a second verse that we use all the time, 2 Corinthians three eighteen is this, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Those of us, who because of Jesus have said yes to Jesus and in saying yes to Jesus, the veil between us and God of shame, of performance, of religiosity, of family history, of doubt, of whatever, all of those things because of Jesus, that veil has been removed by Jesus because of Jesus, through Jesus. And as that veil is removed, we then can contemplate, we comprehend, we can stand in intimacy face to face. And as we are doing that, there's my little aside in the middle of the verse, um, we are being transformed into what? Into his image. Again, our identity is crafted through intimacy and transformation that takes place so that we become more and more like Jesus, that we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Now don't hear me say that as you are being transformed, I, 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 there's so much to this verse, there's so much around it and so much in it. And we're, and I'm using it this morning to just move us to this place of understanding what is being accomplished. But when it says ever increasing glory, it's not saying that the more you become like Jesus, the more glory you're going to get. It's saying that the more that we stand before Him and contemplate Him and can be in intimacy with Him, that more and more glory is able to be pressed into us, on us, to craft us and form us. It's not like I want. I want. It's not. I want more glory. It's that glory is actually a tool, a um, a, a mechanism. As we stand, that as we are able to stand in that glory, that face-to-face intimate relationship, that more and more glory is poured against our lives and more and more of our life is broken off of us and consumed as it becomes more and more like Jesus. We are not becoming like Jesus to get more glory. It is the glory of intimacy that is forming us into being like Jesus and that is the place of intimacy in that in that core play, that core reality of saying we are face to face with him noticing the intimacy in that verse in 2 Corinthians 3:18 we are being transformed by intimacy and our intimacy is only available to us because of Jesus and through Jesus and he brings us into that place we are being turned into His image, that we would be more and more like Christ. And listen, I could give you and I have given it to you, and I probably will give it to you again. I could give you a list of verses that say, because of your relationship with Jesus, here are all the things that are that, that you have as verses that say, I am like Christ, or Christ is in me, or my identity in Christ is this. And there's 50 verses. I have a page of them, all from, from places in scripture that says, this is what it looks like for you to have your identity in Christ. And hear me say this, at the at the fear of repeating myself over and over and over again if i If you say I am following Jesus and I say awesome, here is a list of verses that tell you your identity in Christ. And you take the list of verses and you begin to follow the list of verses because this is what my identity is now supposed to be like in Jesus. And I'm going to follow these and I'm going to memorize these and I'm going to modify my behavior regardless of what's going on deep inside of me in my heart or in my brain. And I am going to perform my identity in Jesus. This is religious stuff <laughs> that takes us to a place of performance where some I told you, I told you <laughs> that takes us to performing for our identity. And knowing, I'm not, I'm not saying that to know those verses isn't powerful and healthy and that we shouldn't be meditating on the word of God and scripture and learning those. And, 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 but what happens if we do not have a basis of intimacy and love at the core of our actions is we are performing in order to receive, we're performing in order to be seen. Don't do anything for God unless you realize that you are unconditionally loved when you're doing nothing for God. Does that do you do you do you get what I'm saying though? If I'm doing things for God because someone told me this is what I'm supposed to do for God, but it is not motivated out of a place of being unconditionally loved as a son or a daughter, I am going to get identity out of my performance rather than my identity out of being unconditionally loved as a son or daughter. And so often in church, we are told how to behave, but we are not told how to behold God in a way that allows us to stand before him and be transformed by his love so that when we do in action, we are, as scripture says, we are compelled by love. That was so good, I blew bubbles. Let me take a drink. And then he was frothing. I don't know what was going on. And I know it's a strong statement, and there's a lot to unpack there. But if I say to you what I said, What if you don't do anything for God? Does that make you nervous? Does it make you feel like you're not performing? Does it feel like you're not measuring up? Does it feel like you're failing some kind of standard that you've been told, we have to go do this, you have to go do this, you have to go do this? Your Christianity can begin to resemble a hamster on a wheel that's just running and running and running and running and running and running, but you're not experiencing the very thing that you're performing for. Because the thing that you desire to experience is not something that can be performed for it, it is something that can be received. Because Jesus did the work because you are so loved. Jesus, God, John three sixteen, doesn't say that he loved you because Jesus died for you. Does that make sense? Like you're not like, oh, he loves me. Because Jesus died and forgave my sins, made me all better and made me lovable so that the Father could love me because Jesus died for me first. No, God loved you so much before anything took place that he sent Jesus to die for you, to reconcile you, to redeem you, to forgive you, to set you right, to bring you back into relationship with him because you are so loved. Does that make sense? And so that's the basis of our identity. If we don't come out of that place, then anything that we do in the rest of this conversation about identity is going to be me telling you, hey, perform this way, act this way, look this way, talk this way. And that is not what we ever want you to walk out of this room feeling or hearing or sensing. So, who we already are in Christ in that place of intimacy knowing that we are loved. Who we already are in Christ becomes revealed to us. It becomes our reality. It becomes our identity as we look to him. So this is why we need that fresh, revelation of who God is in order to understand who we are. And if we have fresh revelation of who God is, it allows us to continually break off lies and misconceptions about his character, about his nature, and about his intent. And that also allows us then to step into our identity as sons and daughters. We, You guys know this quote. A lot of you know this quote. And if, you, if this is the first year you've been with us for intimacy, identity, and inheritance, Uh, this is a quote from A.W. Tozer. How many of you know the quote I'm going to say? Just with a raise, just a little lift of hands. Okay, whoa, okay, all right, all right. What comes to mind when you think about God or what comes to mind when someone thinks about God is the most important thing about them. And that's a quote by A.W. Tozer. And what he's saying in that is that when we're talking about intimacy with God, Obviously, if we are going to spend time in relationship with God, it matters what we believe about God. And so his, his distilling that down is that what people believe about God is the most important thing about them. And so we are invited into this place of saying, what do I believe about God? Because what you believe about God is going to come out in your behavior, which is a reflection of the core beliefs you have about your identity. And I can tell everything about you and about me and what you believe about God based on how you treat yourself and based on how you treat others, especially when you fail or come up short or when they fail or come up short. A great indicator of what I believe God is like is how I treat myself when I get caught in that sin again or when I make that mistake again or when this happens or when that happens. And a great indicator of how you feel and what you believe God is like is how you treat other people when they don't measure up to your expectations, to your standards or whatever it may be. And so we wanna be able to be paying attention for these indicators of like, man, do I believe that he is a good father? Or do I believe that he is a stern judge who cannot wait to put me in my place? And that those who do not measure up, myself included, those that don't measure up deserve to be punished until their behavior changes. If we believe that about God, that's how we're going to interact with every person around our life, including ourselves. And so if nothing else today, and we just stop here, I would say to you, let's pay attention to how you treat yourself and how you treat others when they don't measure up and then ask yourself, how is this not a direct reflection of what I believe my God is like? Because if I'm spending time with God and I am not becoming more like Jesus, I am spending time with a man-made idol that I have made up in my head. And so it's important for us to have that place of intimacy, but to make sure that we have our hearts and minds right toward God and that we are being formed into that image of Christ's likeness. So who then, who are you? Who are you? Peter had a similar conversation with Jesus, but it started out a little bit differently. And Jesus asked Peter this question in Matthew 16. Instead of saying, who are you? He said, who am I? Because what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so Jesus isn't starting the conversation. I just equated A.W. Tozer to scripture and I apologize for that. I'm just using it as an example. But in Jesus isn't saying, who are you? He starts the conversation by saying, who am I? And he asks Peter and the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. His revelation of who Jesus was came, not because of knowledge or understanding, but by revelation And I tell you this, Peter, that that revelation of who I am, that you are Peter, and on this rock, that rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Revelation shows us who he is, and when we begin to discover who he is, then we can receive his words over us of who we are. This is not just a bypass moment with God where we all sit in a room and go, tell me how awesome I am. What's my identity, God? I just wanna pass you by. It is a surrendering of the entirety of our life, our cycles, our family, our spiritual DNA, all of it, we're surrendering it all to him and saying, I want more and more and more and more revelation of who you are and what you are like. And I wanna set my heart and my focus on that. And then I wanna give you permission. I wanna ask you or invite you to say, who am I to you? And as he is able to speak to us, we have to rise up in faith and hold on to what he speaks to us as he reveals to us who we are. And we can easily get trapped in that place of some say Christianity. And I call it some say Christianity because in this interaction, you see Jesus asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, some say you're this and some say you're that and some say you're that. And he goes, no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? And some say Christianity is when we are content for someone else, a preacher with a microphone, a husband or a wife, parents who have always taught us culture, a church or whatever to tell us this is who God is and this is what God's like. And so you go, if God came to you and said, who do you say I am? You'd say, well, the preacher that I go to says that you're like this and my parents told me that you're like this and my this said that you're like this and this you said you're like this and culture tells me you're like this and Jesus would say, stop, stop. I don't wanna know what everybody else tells you about our relationship. I wanna know who you are say that i am it requires a willingness to walk into intimacy to know the father to be able to have our identity revealed to us and that we would not be people who answer the question who am i with some say this and some say that but we would be able to say you're a good father revealed in scripture who loved me and loved us so deeply that you sent your only son, that I would know that love and that we would be reconciled into relationship, that I could experience the fullness of your spirit and life in you, Father, and that you have equipped me and enabled me to know you and to experience you and to have a relationship with you. That's who you are. Not some say this or some say that. And when he speaks to us about who we are, as I said, we need to be able to choose by faith to rise up into it. In Luke 4, there's the story of John the Baptist, and he's been out preaching for Jesus and paving the way for the Messiah. And Jesus comes to this to the water where John the Baptist is baptizing people. And he says, hey, John, you need to baptize me. And John the Baptist goes, I know that's in my name. Um, but I'm not going to baptize you. And he's like, but, you, but it's in your name right there. And he says, so they talk for just a minute, and Jesus convinces him that this is what needs to take place. Is this, Jesus needs to be baptized by John the Baptist, and so Jesus goes down into the water. Many of you know this story. If you don't, it's in, it's in Luke chapter 4. Um, and, and as Jesus goes down, he's baptized. He comes out of the water, and we see this, this, this moment where the Trinity fully reveals themselves in scripture and you have Jesus coming out of the water and you have the spirit of God descending like a dove on Jesus and then the father's voice speaks over Jesus and says this is my son whom I love and I am proud of him and Jesus has this moment with everyone around where as a son his father speaks identity over him And he has this choice to rise up into that identity just as we have this choice. We meditate on scripture as we spend time in worship, as we spend time in prayer, as people pray over us, as the Lord speaks to us by his spirit and speaks identity over us. We have a choice to receive it by faith and to rise into it and to live it out. And Jesus had this spoken over him. You're my son, I love you, I'm proud of you. And then the scripture goes on to say that immediately after that took place, what happens? The spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. And in these moments of temptation, what's actually taking place is that this identity that the Father has spoken over him is being challenged out in the desert place. And so the tempter comes to him with these three temptations and says, Are you really God's son? Is it really true what he just said about you? Is it? Cuz I don't believe it. But if you could turn these rocks into bread, I would believe you. If you can perform this miracle, if you can prove it, if you could or if you would just worship me. Are you really God's son? Are you really going to be seated on the throne? If you're if you're really, why don't you worship me and I'll give you the nations? Or the tempter brings him up onto the temple and above it and says, "Throw yourself off. If you're really God's son, surely" He would catch you before you hit the ground. See what's happening is each one of these temptations wasn't trying to get Jesus to sin, to make a mistake, to stumble. These temptations were trying to get Jesus to walk back off of the identity that his father had just spoken over his life. You think far too small of yourself if you think that the enemy exists to get you tripped up and to stumble into sin. The enemy is after your identity, not just your behavior. And we think, oh, I I can't do this thing, and I can't do that thing, and I can't do that thing. And so again, we go back to having lists all the while the question remains, who do you say I am, and do you believe who I say you are, and are you going to live in this identity or in something temporary that is giving you identity? The enemy is not after you to get you to break a secret rule, to sin, just to make a mistake. The enemy wants you to live below the reality of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. He is attacking Jesus's work through you. And when we stand in it, It becomes a place in our lives where we say, this is the reign and the realm of Jesus. And as I stand in my identity, I don't have to worry about all of these temptations. In fact, the temptations that come become very instructive to you discovering where you have placed your identity in temporary things. So for us to resist temptation... To flee from temptation, whatever it is, it isn't just getting rid of it. I would say pay attention to the places of temptation that exist in your life because they are indicative of agreements or connections that you've made with this life where you are finding your identity in temporary things. And I'm asking you to stop doing those things, not because I'm a pastor with a list. I'm asking you to stop doing those things because they are undermining your ability to rise into your full identity in Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so Jesus has this experience where he goes and the father speaks over him and he goes into the desert. And each of those places where it's spoken over him is a chance for him to accept a shortcut to a destination that God had for him. And so often the places where we find identity in this life are simply shortcuts to things that God has built into our heart to desire. And when we don't steward those desires well, we find their completion in temporary things instead of finding them in completion of where God is taking us to experience them in the fullness of time as he desires. Do you see the subtle trick that was taking place? When you look at that scripture, when you study that scripture, if you read it on your own, look at the subtle trick that is taking place. As the tempter came to Jesus, he was offering him things that Jesus was attaining through his obedience to the father. And so often, where we get caught up is when there are things in our heart that we know the Father desires for us, or a part of our identity, or part of something, and we look for a temporary solution, a counterfeit, and we connect to that, and we find our identity from the temporary instead of the eternal. So, if we're going to talk about finding our identity in Christ, we have to talk about disconnecting from places where we find our identity here and now and making sure that they are finding their fulfillment in our long walk of intimacy and obedience with the spirit of the living God who is sanctifying us. And by that, I mean walking us through maturity to a place where we see those things completed and satisfied in those dreams and those desires that he put in us, satisfied in his planning and his purpose and his his timing. This is... uh, where I would love for the worship team to make their way back up here. And I want to ask you a question. Just something to think about today as we and this week as we focus on identity is this. Are you finding your identity in Christ? Are you finding your identity in who the Father says that you are? Are you finding your identity in the revelation of the spirit of God that rests in you and upon you through your relationship with Jesus? Or are you finding your identity in what you do? Are you finding your identity in what you have? Are you finding your identity in what people think of you? Are you finding your identity in what you are accomplishing or not accomplishing? Are you allowing shame to tell your story and finding your identity in failure? Are you allowing pride to tell your story and finding your identity in the past and your accomplishments? Where are you finding your identity today? Because everything that I listed is fleeting. Everything that I listed is changing. If we anchor our identity to temporary things, our identity will always be in flux depending on what season we're in, how well things are going, what's happening or not happening in and around our life. The gift of the wilderness place that Jesus walked into for 40 days, he fasted before the temptations came. The gift of the wilderness place is the opportunity to have a lot of those things that we find our identity in stripped away. And so if you find yourself this morning in a difficult place, if you find yourself this morning in a quiet place, if you find yourself this morning feeling like you're wandering in a wilderness, I don't wanna be a jerk when I say this, but with all of my heart, embrace the wilderness. I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that as if it's easy. But so often everything inside of us says, I've got to get out of this wilderness. And we run back to safety and we run back to the normal and we run back to old patterns of identity and old patterns of making life work. But if the spirit of God is walking with you in the wilderness, do not eject, do not quit, do not run back to safety. Walk with him in intimacy so that he can speak to you about identity identity even if it means letting go of some things where you have found your identity in this life or in your successes or in what people think of you or in what you have or in what you can do, the stripping away in the wilderness is a gift. Scripture says that Jesus went into the wilderness full of the spirit, led by the spirit and full of the spirit. But it said when he came out of the wilderness, He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. What transitioned from fullness to it becoming the power of the Spirit of God? It was that every place that was challenged, he stood on the Word of God, he stood on the words of his Father, And every time his identity was challenged, every time that he stood in it, it was a transference, the fullness of the Spirit upon his life to the power of the Spirit in his life. Every time you stand in the identity that Jesus has given you is an opportunity for his power to move through you and rest upon you. And I want that to be our story for identity today. Are you allowing the spirit of God to confront any identity lies that exist in your heart and your head in your life today? Anything that doesn't line up with who the father says that you are and who does the father say that you are? Well, because we believe and know that you are in Christ and that you're a son and you're a daughter. The father speaks over you says, you are my daughter and I love you and I am proud of you. You are my son and I love you and I am proud of you. And we speak to every yeah, but that just rose up in this room to be silenced in Jesus' name because it is a lie from the one who tempts you to find your identity in temporary things and shortcuts you're a son and you're a daughter you are loved unconditionally emphatically and he is proud of who you are Holy Spirit, we invite you to just come and minister this to our hearts. And I know I've left a thousand things unsaid. There's a thousand side roads I'd like to take. There's a thousand things I would like to explain better. But this is not about how well we explain it. This isn't about how well we figure it out. This is about these moments when you want to walk us away from everything else so that we can discover things that we have found our identity in and we can let those go and we can rise into the identity that you speak over us. And I speak over every person in this room that they would hear from you that you love them, that you're proud of them, and that they are your son, they are your daughter, that they are deeply loved, that they are completely forgiven, that they are fully pleasing, that they are totally accepted and they are complete in you. And my challenge to you as you sit in this room is to define yourself as a child of God. In this full circle moment that we would come back to where we started you are loved, that you are loved, that you are loved. I thank you, Jesus, that this is not a love that we have to earn or perform for, but that we would receive and continue to receive fresh revelation of who you are and then who you speak over us to be. Ultimately, guys, we are going to live out who we believe that we are. And so I cannot overstate how deeply this matters to our relationship with God. For these next 15 minutes or so, as we just take some time to allow God's Spirit to minister in this place, I want to invite you to a few things. One, you can you can just be in His presence as we worship and, and, and play music in this room. Number two, communion is available to you this morning. It's um, it's on the tables here and and over here. I think a beautiful response to this morning is to be able to take communion because it represents us receiving the completed work of Jesus that brings us into a place as broken and forgotten and overlooked and believing that we were separated from God to a place where we are redeemed and restored and reconciled and renewed in our intimacy with him in our identity in him so communion is a beautiful exchange that you can have this morning as you're just saying I want to lay down places where I found my identity that aren't of you and I want to pick up a fresh revelation of your identity and then finally around the room they are standing around the room beginning to find their way around the room are are folks who would like to pray for you and they'll be standing in the back they have lanyards on that just say ministry team and if you're here this morning and you're like, I, I, I like all the things this guy's talking about, I don't know. I don't know what God is speaking over me right now. I don't know what I'm hearing right now. Sometimes I get in those places too where I'm, God, God, I, I'm, I'm just struggling to hear what it is that you're speaking over my life and maybe there's a hundred different reasons why. But sometimes we need to just go to someone else and say, would you speak heaven's identity over me? I just want to hear a prayer of identity over my heart and over my life and over my mind. And so if that's you and you're just feeling that compelled by God's spirit to step out and to receive prayer, they would love to just pray identity over you this morning. So um, at 1130, if you could just keep an eye on your watches. At 11.30, we'll be done, and you can go get your kids. But if you would keep talking and and conversation and that kind of stuff that's so healthy, but if you would keep that to outside of this room, we'll just continue to stay in here. Uh, Don't leave your middle schoolers over there. They may break something or burn something down. So go get them at 11.30. Get your kids at 11.30. But for these next few minutes, let's just take time to receive and to be ministered to. And please... Receive prayer from our ministry team. They're here this morning for you, and they've been praying this weekend in preparation to be able to speak life and identity over you.
1: to Father, thank you that you are everything. Thank you for being a good father that we can come to for anything. Thank you that we can come before you no matter how dirty we feel, God, or how um, sinful or inadequate or whatever it is, God, we thank you that we can come before you and that you will wipe us clean, that you will hold us like a loving Father. We thank you that you're our safe place that you will hold us, that you will guide us. How do we give it all to you? In Jesus' name.